0: record though got it yeah i didn't even hear the thing (laughs) oh i guess because it's already recording it didn't tell us that it's recording but it is recording all right word i'll just give an improper proper uh introduction as per usual this is the psychedelic athlete podcast i'm here with my buddy doctors waboda david's waboda um it's funny when you know people through Instagram and you don't really know them by their name. I know everybody by their handles. Like, I mean, I knew mm-hmm. your name was David and mm-hmm. I knew you were a motherfucking doctor, but <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's funny how that works. Um, so you're, you're a perfect guest for this podcast. I'll just give you what I know and then you kind of tell me how I fucked it up. So Fair enough. you, you went, to, you went to school, you did the whole get your bachelor's, get your master's. Next thing you know, you're a doctor of, I think, physical therapy. I don't really know how all that works. You have like, a, I I think you got a CSCS, strength and conditioning thingy. Um, And you decided one day, you know what? Physical therapy life, just the general physical therapy life is not the fulfilling thing that I need in life. And I'm so passionate about this martial arts thing especially grappling that I see the obvious connection between this sport that I imagine you had already started doing or were getting into and that led you to being fascinated into the obvious connection and an oversight most people don't realize like from a jujitsu perspective the the physio side of things is a big missing element in understanding jujitsu conceptually so just, and and we're in chronic pain. We're in chronic weakness. We play a sport that requires balancing for a lot of us and, and figuring things out that we don't understand about ourselves. We don't know how to make us feel better after doing the sport that we do year round five, six, seven days a week, some of us and through injuries. And we wind up walking around like, you know hobbled limping you can see all of these injuries joints that don't open Mm -hmm. all the way and Mm -hmm. we had a conversation one time i fucked that up by as a while ago xing out before (laughs) clicking save video and what a disaster that was but it was a fun conversation we went over some stuff back then but it, it, what it, t- Tell me a little bit about the, and I know you have a thing now. I, I forget what it is, but but tell me the website thing as well. You might as well just say your Instagram handle and the website at the top, just so sure. it's out there. Um, sure. Tell me that, then tell me a little bit more about what you have going on.
1: Sure, man. That was a good overview. So the website is groundgamephysio.com. The Instagram is just at David Z bjj. Um, it used to be like my first initial last name and I have such a fucking weird last name that I would tell people that and they'd be like, okay, I have no idea how to find you. So I just made it easier. So David Z BJJ is pretty straightforward. Um, can you still hear me? Okay.
0: Yep. I can hear you just fine. You sound great. Cool. I'm just bringing my mic closer to me. The one thing, the one piece of the
1: bio that you may have left out, and this is literally the psychedelic athlete podcast. So we would Mm. be remiss to leave it out you did a very good job blending or or talking about how I blend the physio with the grappling and how those passions just kind of combine a huge part of me actually starting my own business and doing my own thing and creating what I want to create now has been psychedelics for me. Wow. So yeah, if it weren't for LSD and mushrooms and ayahuasca, I wouldn't be where I am whatsoever today. Um, I've actually got my fiance downstairs doing yoga. We met at an ayahuasca retreat. So it's been pivotal in my life and my career now. So we should
0: definitely talk some more about that. I am all about that. Yeah, I wasn't sure how much (laughs) you wanted to talk about that. I was going to bring up some stuff. I I want to talk about it. Yes. Okay. Well, that is amazing. Um, yeah. Well, t- tell me about what you have going on as far as your working practice right now. Like you basically try to just see grapplers that are what weak in chronic pain, have injuries they haven't figured out What, what what's going on.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I work with people kind of across the spectrum from, you know, I'm a 40 year old guy and I just want to learn how to work out to I'm a 20 year old and I have terrible shoulder pain, something like that. You know, so I do some of the rehab end of things. My real passion, though, is what I would call longevity training. So I'm only 28 years old right now. 27. I turned 28 soon. I'm 27 <laughs> years old now.
0: <laughs> it gets harder as you get older, it, dude.
1: It does, it man. Just I wait. forgot the other day. <laughs> yeah. But I want, like, my goal, man, is to be able to, like, train with my grandchildren and, like, you know, kick their asses when I'm, like, 80 years old. That's my end goal is to have, like, a fucking coral belt and be rolling until I die. Yeah. So, In order to do that, you need to really be training for the long-term. It's almost like investing, right? It's like you have a retirement account and you're putting a little bit away each week and you don't touch that money, right? So that's how I approach my training for my own life. When I'm in the gym or when I'm working out, when I'm stretching, that's at the front of my mind. It's never how can I be the fastest, strongest guy in the gym? It's how can I keep doing this sport for the next 60 years for the next 80 years? And I take that approach to all the clients that I work with. So that's why I said, you know, I'll work with people who are in pain for sure. I'll work with people to kind of get them over the hump of an injury. But what I really want to do is take like, say a 35 year old guy, maybe high blue belt, purple belt loves this sport. Maybe he's got young kids and he kind of sees the trajectory of his future being one where he's going to have to give this up because he wakes up in the morning, his fucking knees hurt. You know, he bends down to pick up his kids and his back hurts and he's not trying to be ADCC champion. He just fucking loves jujitsu and he wants to be able to show up every day and do the sport that he loves. That's the type of person that I want to work with.
0: Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense, man. And I, I don't know. It's, it's, It's weird when people want to be as strong as they possibly can be and as fast as possibly as they possibly can be this fucking mic. Give me one sec. (laughs) Not the mic, but Oh Jesus. There we go. We're back enough. I just want my face in frame. Um, the, the biggest thing is like, that's a time bomb. Like, you know, there's a, there's definitely a limit on your, your strength ability. Um, the, the, the speed ability, But pain and the ability to figure out injuries enough to continue Mm -hmm. doing what you want to do—I mean, Mm -hmm. that is like the focal point of longevity and just feeling good. I think I love the idea of being as strong as you can. Like strength and strength can cover a lot of. Yeah, can fix a lot of the problems that people have. Getting stronger is is probably absolutely. And you, and you promote the same thing. I mean, yeah. opening up a range of motion is only so beneficial if you're not yeah. willing to get stronger there. Yep. Um, yep. I, yeah, I
1: think, man, like just basic strength training is like 80% of the picture. Like yeah. I'm by no means telling people to avoid strength training at all. Getting strong is 100% necessary to have a long life. But it gets to the point of kind of like the idea of like diminishing returns, right? So once we have a base of strength, pushing it further and further and further might now start to actually detract from your jujitsu. If it means that you're constantly sore, if it means that you're doing heavy squats just for the sake of squatting heavier, and now we're starting to bother your knee or your low back, right? We should, our our strength training should support that end goal of how can I train jujitsu when I'm 80, right? So my squats need to be set up with that goal in mind. I shouldn't be squatting with the goal of, I want to set a fucking record for, squats. That's cool. We can get super strong, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's the why behind it. It's the why behind, why am I doing this lift? Am I doing it to make my knee stronger and healthier so I can keep passing guard for the next 60 years? Or am I doing it just to grow my quads and get stronger? And I would argue like just doing it for the sake of getting stronger, you end up just kind of chasing that. Is, is that making sense? It's like, yeah, it's like meathead lifting versus Lifting to be a strong old dude.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like, okay, for for instance, just philosophically, how I would train a client if I have somebody and they get, say, I get a woman to a 200 pound deadlift. And now instead of going up 5, 10, 15 pounds every workout or two, we might be looking at a point where maybe you'll go up five pounds in the next two months. And then maybe you might go up five pounds in the next year. It's probably better to find an exercise that you can improve mechanically that can fix some of your weaknesses, as opposed to potentially making yourself feel so severely sore and Mm -hmm. causing additional problems just to what get five pounds stronger on a deadlift, which is the sport I came from powerlifting, which Mm -hmm. is it literally is you put yourself through so much trauma and hell just to chase another. Or five pounds on right. a lift that you've probably already taken close to the top of the mountain. Right. Um, I had James yeah, so in- Fuller on here and he talks about focusing on things like left to right imbalances, improving mm-hmm. range of mo- motion, um, all of these options and and whatnot and va- variances of movements adding variety to joints. So you're not sort of mm-hmm. wearing grooves into this, into like the ball and socket of a joint or whatever. I mean, that's an, it's not a, maybe that's not a literal thing, but you, you get the idea. think about
1: it. Exactly. So I, I, I think the power lifting thing, right. It's like lifting weights is the end in itself. The point yeah. of power lifting is to lift more as opposed to using lifting as a means to an end, which is being strong and being healthy and maintaining that health. I think that that's the distinction that I'm trying to make. And you you mentioned a good point. So in powerlifting, because I I come from kind of a gym bro culture also, you push through a lot of things in order to get the weight on the bar, right? So I have this, this concept that I always come back to, which is that we should train to the capacity of the weakest link in the chain. So, so often injuries occur because you know, say we're adding weight to your bench press and your shoulder starts bothering you a little bit. And it's something that you can work through in order to keep benching more and more and more weight. But that's your body telling you like, Hey, something isn't able to handle this stress that we're throwing at it. There's some weak link in the chain there. And in powerlifting and like gym bro culture, we push through that. What I want people to do is listen to those warning signs from your body. So if you only train to what the weakest piece of the chain can handle, Yeah, you're sacrificing some gains, quote unquote, because we could load your pecs more by adding more weight at the detriment of, say, like your bicep tendon now developing tendonitis. But if we respect that weakest link and we train to that muscle or that tendon or whatever it is over time, that guy improves. And now we can go back to getting stronger. Right. So it's just respecting whatever the weakest parts are respecting those warning signs that your body's throwing at you instead of just ignoring them and gritting through it, we actually listen to it. We take a step back and say, okay, how should I modify my training now to address this weak link in the chain? Does that idea make sense?
0: It does. So so a question I would have would be this. Let's say I'm squatting and my glutes are the weak point in the chain or, or, or whatever let's just say it's glutes am i looking for a technical shift from the third to fourth rep that lets me know that maybe going for the fifth rep is not a good idea am i respecting mm. the fact that I'm clearly imbalanced and not just not able to stay in an ideal postural position and for whatever reason I, maybe I should find a different lift that that hammers in the area that I, I think or can perceive as being more weak than another area How do you know that you're at the limit of a weakest link in a Mm -hmm. compound movement would be my big question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Good question. Very good question. The form breakdown is definitely one thing I think for most people to be cognizant of that, you have to be like training for a while to notice those little shifts in the form. I think the bigger red flag that people will actually recognize and everyone in jujitsu has felt this for sure is you wake up after a day of training and your hip is like way more sore than it has any right to be. You know, it's like the rest of your body is a little bit banged up because you rolled really hard, but it's like that first step out of bed in the morning, there's like shooting pain in your hip. Or let's say you're walking down the stairs. Maybe like I have this French bulldog laying next to me and she's a little potato and she can't walk very well. So we have to carry her up and down the stairs. So like, let's say you're walking down the stairs and your knee, just every time you take that step down is just stabbing pain right? Let's say like your right knee is a little sore from rolling and your left knee is just stabbing pain into you every time. That's the kind of thing you could take some Advil and put some ice on it and go train the next day. Or we could listen to that and say, okay, what am I doing that's pissing off this knee so much? What part of my training is putting too much stress on it that the rest of my body can handle? And maybe it can even handle more, but clearly this is as much as my knee is capable of of handling because it's starting to hurt. So it's those kind of warning signs. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell most people to, to stress so much about the form breaking down during an exercise. It's important for sure. But I think there's other kind of more obvious signs like that, because when I'm talking about this weak link in the chain, I'm not so much talking about within the one training session or within the one set of an exercise. Even I'm talking within like the big picture of your life within what are you doing to yourself at work like i know you work you're like a manual laborer essentially right you're you're fucking beating up your body carrying loads of mulch and shit every day i see you on instagram so we've got that we've got your weightlifting, we've got your training all those things are adding stress to every part of your body so if you're waking up one day and like i don't know maybe your shoulders really achy as you're putting on your shirt It's like, okay, what are we doing at work? What are we doing in the gym? What are we doing on the mats that's contributing to this? And how can we adjust the big picture of your life to just dial that back a little bit? Does that answer your question?
0: It does. And it leads me to another question. Could it Mm -hmm. also be a sign that the opposite is the case? For instance, if I am doing front squats and I am doing uh, deadlifts and my hamstrings just get such insane amount of delayed onset muscle soreness. And I'm just constantly super sore in my hamstrings. Could it be that I'm weaker in the surrounding areas, in the glute, or maybe have some dysfunction in my quad the hamstring relationship or, or some sort of ratios going on where my hamstrings are taking the brunt of the load and are actually the strongest point and therefore I'm throwing it into them. Like if, if I'm constantly feeling squats in my back, is it because I have a strong back or is it because I have um, a, a weak back? You know, who knows? Or, I,
1: I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, so is it's it like- a hip
0: and glute issue? ankle mobility
1: so, so it's like you're doing this workout you feel it more in one muscle do you feel it more because that's weaker so it's fatiguing or do you feel it more because that muscle's doing most of the work so you just feel it working and the answer is actually to have the other muscles work more is that is that kind of summarizing yeah I, i'm you?
0: guessing it could be both and then you'd have to just go into further investigation but at least you know that there's a problem there and then you start playing more with it right i, I would imagine yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So that's the red flag that's going off that says, Hey, something's, something's funky here. Honestly, it's hard to answer that question without watching someone move without doing some functional things. Right. So like, let's look at your squat and then let's look at a single leg squat. Let's look at a single leg deadlift. Let's look at a pistol squat. You know, if you can do a single leg deadlift, great. And your pistol squat is like flaming trash. Then it tells me there's something wrong with your quad and your glute whereas your hamstring's probably good because your single leg deadlift looks good. Does that make sense? So
0: hundred percent, yeah. So
1: yeah, it's, it's telling you something's wrong, but then you got to do some further investigation to tease out like, do I feel this because this guy's weak? Do I feel it because there's a uh, lack of coordination elsewhere? And that's where an assessment comes in, right? So like all of my clients, I start with a Zoom session where we do like a full head-to-toe movement screen and we see what's going on with them. We see what patterns jump out. I'm so hesitant and this honestly might even hold me back from like working with more people, but I'm so hesitant to give people advice or give people a program to follow without at least watching them move a little bit first for this exact reason. You're just guessing if you're not looking at someone and assessing those movements, like if someone gives you advice, man, without watching you do something they're
0: guessing, you know? Right. That, no, that, that makes uh that, that makes a lot of sense. What here, this is something that's pretty good to unpack. So you do the sport of jujitsu. You mm-hmm. see patterns in jiu-jitsu. And then there are also, we could take this from a broader perspective of, of modern day Western world common problems because there is no one answer fits everybody. But what things do you think are super obvious in jiu-jitsu? Like, like one of the big ones for me, and when I had... James on here, who's a strength, uh, and conditioning, um, you know, str- strong man mentor of mine. I do mm-hmm. a lot of like his lifts of late and, and have been going to him for technical advice, et cetera. Um, he was talking about like people losing the ability to do neck bridges, not being able to do things like a sissy squat, like these mm-hmm. side bend sort of pattern mm-hmm. movements, um, side lunges and looking for these sorts of imbalances, but in jujitsu, in your time in there, what do you think is the most obvious problems or the most common problems people are facing?
1: Yeah. It sounds like, is, is this guy like the, the archeology span yeah. strength or yeah, that, that is insane. I know (laughs) Um, I don't know too much. I've just seen some clips on his Instagram, Um, but it sounds like what he was, what you guys were talking about a little bit is like modern day humans live in a straight line. Like if you look at the average person's life, there's nothing in the modern day that requires us to do a lateral lunge. There's nothing that requires us to really rotate our torso or, or rotate your knee, right? Everything's just kind of straight. We walk in a straight path. We walk on paved concrete. We sit in a chair. It's all straight. And jujitsu is very three-dimensional. Like, you know, that like principles of guard passing, right? It's like, you got to change the directions. You got to change the level. So the lateral movements are definitely something that a lot of people lack. And that's why we see so many groin injuries because closed guard, we're using our groin open guard. We're stretching our groin and the groin is just such like an under-trained area in modern humans. So that's definitely one thing. I think the second thing is spine mobility. So same kind of idea, like our life doesn't require too much twisting. It doesn't require too much bending backwards and it doesn't require too much like heavy or loaded forward bending, right? We might bend forward to pick something up off the ground, but the average person isn't training like Jefferson curls. Are you familiar with that movement? Actually? Yeah. I saw you do. I saw you post something on that. Yep. So in jujitsu, like, let's think you're on the bottom. Let's say you go for an arm bar and your opponent stacks you right? So now they're putting your, your hips over your head and your spine is rounded and they're trying to push your knees into your face to escape the arm bar. So now we're in, we're upside down for one thing. Obviously people don't do that much during the day. And our spine is being rounded with force with our opponent, pushing us into that rounded posture. That's the exact kind of thing that like doctors would tell you to avoid at all costs, right? Like heavy bending of your spine with a lot of pressure but guess what I do inverted arm locks all the fucking time because I train to be able to do that. Right. So just to get back to your question, like what are, what are modern humans lacking? Maybe that like jujitsu requires definitely that side to side mobility, that like lateral lunging kind of stuff. It requires the knees going very far past the toes and it requires your back to be able to round and to extend under heavy loads. Those are all three things that people don't expose themselves to on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and Jiu-Jitsu, jiu-jitsu ex- not only exposes you to it, but your opponent puts you there with as much force as they possibly can to get past your guard or to defend the armbar or whatever they're doing. You know.
0: Yes. And now this is uh, kind of like two sides to the same coin here. I would imagine it's not just important to be able to fight back and resist and strengthen out of positions, but being able to go with the Mm -hmm. force and be able to be comfortable and allow yourself to do things like internally rotate the hip to, to fully, uh, compress the spine in one direction, breathe under these difficult angles. Like I do, I go to a yoga studio, uh, pretty much every day where I do back-to-back classes. I go to yin, restorative, hot, all that bullshit. And Mm -hmm. the yin fascinates me a lot and how it relates to jujitsu. I don't know if you're familiar with yin, but you're doing a lot of little bit. Yeah, you're doing a lot of like five, six, seven minute pose holds and you're sort of brushing up against that maybe six to seven uh, number scale of intensity. But maybe sometimes mm-hmm. you would take it higher or lower, but you might be in something like a pigeon pose or sort of like a runner's lunge, like a lizard or, or dragon pose, a um, uh, frog pose, where you have your hips wide open and you're holding these things for six, seven minutes. And I think about how much that translates to allowing to somebody to move me some way like you see Mm -hmm. those grapplers in that sort of eastern mindset of go with the movement Mm -hmm. and and that efficiency in not just constantly hitting the brake pads and driving back into a force that's driving into you um it's almost like action through non-action sort of Mm -hmm. thing that that passive uh and and there is an element of that too like being comfortable in these extreme ranges is an interesting skill for jujitsu. It's helped me a lot.
1: Absolutely, man. You, you hit the nail on the head with, you need to be comfortable in these positions. You need to know how to breathe calmly in those positions. And that comes from exposure. So it sounds like in the Yin Yoga, you're holding these pretty uncomfortable positions for like six, seven minutes, you're breathing into it and you're letting your body settle into that position. You're letting, I would say you're letting your nervous system and your brain settle into that position. So I'm trying to think of a, of a good example, but let's say, let's say someone's doing like a a knee staple pass. Um, basically they're trying to split your groin apart as much as possible to make it really uncomfortable for you. So at a certain point, you're just like, fuck, all right, please just pass my guard so I can have my leg back, right? Right. If you expose your body to that position, so if we work on the splits, if we work on your adductors, maybe Copenhagen planks, all these things. So we train your groin to be comfortable in that position where now your brain and your nervous system actually feels at home in that position. You can hang out there all day long and be like, fuck you, you're not passing my guard. This is okay because your nervous system knows how to operate from that spot. Yes. And the the exposure element, I think, is just the key to that. So in the yin yoga, you're spending time there and breathing. I like, I love lateral movements. So I'll do a lot of lateral lunges with my clients and have them do all kinds of other body movements paired with that. So now we put you in this situation, in this position that your body's not usually used to. And now we train you to actually operate from that spot. So we train you to move your other leg from that position. We train you to use your core from that position. So now not only are you comfortable there, but you can operate from there. And that's what jujitsu is all about, right? Like in the early UFC days, people were astounded that you could fight off of your back because like you, you put a wrestler on his back. He doesn't know what to do, right? You put a jujitsu guy on his back. That's where he's at home. So we need to make our brain feel at home in all of these weird positions so that we can operate from there and so that we can be calm from there.
0: Yeah, um it ties in I had uh Sean Docherty in and he was talking about the idea of training um in calm circumstances and the different states of mindfulness and mm. uh information retention that you can have when you're not producing these extreme hormones these mm-hmm. fight or flight hormones the adrenaline mm-hmm. the, the the whatnot that that makes the situation so primal so you can a think through and B retain what you went totally. through and totally. that that is like a big Big thing when I'm in these uncomfortable positions, typically uncomfortable. A good example is a cradle. I'm a heavyweight, mm-hmm. and when I go against wrestlers, they think they have you screwed when they lock your hand, mm-hmm. their hands, and get you in a cradle. And I've gone against some guys that submit people with cradles, and it's like I, I'm, I'm not going to. I mean, yeah, if you if you're smashing into my my stomach and and burying my breath, maybe I'm going to tap here, but I'm not just going to tap to being folded more yes. than likely uh, just because yeah. you're, you you have me in this uncomfortable situation, but a, a cool analogy I think of is how many, especially I use heavyweights as an example, because I'm a heavyweight and mm-hmm. there's two things that heavyweight, well, three really heavyweights have trouble. If you were doing a guard passing drill, A lot of heavyweights would get extremely exhausted drilling a pass, a standing pass, a standing pass, maybe 10 times. They Mm -hmm. get tired just doing the movements of standing passing. Mm -hmm. Okay, They get tired just sitting in butterfly guard in a Mm -hmm. butt scoot position and they get tired changing levels. So Mm -hmm. if you plan on actually doing any of those things in a match against an opponent, and you can't even do them without any resistance, totally, and, and you can't do them in a comfortable way. So it sets itself up. Like some people say, what good is mobility and comfort without strength? Almost implying that you have to be strong first, but it's kind of impossible to develop the strength if you haven't mm-hmm. opened up to the position and in, totally. in jujitsu, man, at least I would stress if if you take a good look at yourself and the positions you suck at, if you stuck suck at standing pass, I mean, can you shadow standing pass? Can you shadow single leg? Can you shadow hundred percent? Because if you can't do that, how the hell, how's that going to be your game? It has nothing to do with you and you're an opponent.
1: I couldn't, I couldn't fucking agree more, man. Everything that like I do from some I'm functional range conditioning certified, everything from that perspective is all about controlling your own movements. If you can't control your own body, how are you going to control your opponent's body? And just like you said, if you can't do the move against air, how are you going to do the move against a resisting opponent if you just can't fluidly move your body the way that it needs to? And where that comes into play is like, All right. You're familiar with the sissy squat for, for listeners. I just made a post about this. Imagine you stand up on your toes and now you squat down bending only at the knees, your shoulders leaning back and you let your knees go as far forward as possible.
0: The limbo. It looks a lot like doing the limbo.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So if you can't comfortably get your knees pretty close to the ground, how the fuck are you supposed to do like a smooth penetration step? Because guess what's going to happen? You lower your level, you start driving your knee to the floor, and you hit a point where your body can't control it. And your knee just fucking smacks the ground and your (laughs) penetration step turns to shit. You should be able to pause any movement that you do. You should be able to stop in the middle of it and control it. Obviously, like momentum is a thing for certain moves, but you get what I'm saying. Like for a knee cut pass, you should be able to do it on air. Like imagine you're shuffling across and coming down into the knee cut position. You should be able to stop right there. You shouldn't have to just smack your knee to the floor because you can't control it anymore. So if you can't control yourself, dude, you're, you're not in for a good, a good career or a long career in jujitsu. If you can't control your own movements.
0: That's a good point, man. I mean, that, that's something I've struggled with. I don't know. It's, it's honestly something I was never good at. So I, I don't like to give myself excuses. It's an uphill battle that I am winning and slowly getting better at, but Mm -hmm. I mean, even when I was a kid, I couldn't get into a catcher's squat to be a catcher. Mm -hmm. I had to Mm -hmm. get on my knees. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I never really was able to, I was always like bad at jumping and just weird things with my feet and knees. Mm -hmm. And this leads me to a question. And well, number one, did you realize how many motherfuckers were flat footed until you started doing jujitsu? I can't believe it. Do you just look around the room and you're like, it's Oh terrible. my God, you, everybody here has flat feet. When did Dude, that happen?
1: <laughs> I'm so, this sounds weird. Like it sounds like I have a foot fetish or something, but I'm so into like working on feet because I used to have so many foot problems and I actually broke my one foot twice. And I have a plate and screws in my foot still. So I went from like wearing orthotics 24 seven now I'm all on like barefoot shoes I used to be into barefoot running I wear those like little Jesus sandal looking things all the time uh, so we could talk about feet for fucking ever but what you said is you know you you sucked at these things when you were younger it sounds like you were really tight inflexible probably not like the most fluid athlete right but I know just from seeing the stuff that you're into you're kind of on this path of like self-discovery and of rediscovering a lot of the athleticism. Now you're, you're what, like in your thirties. Yep. Yeah. So at this later stage in life, you're able to come back to it and through dedication and through trying to find truth and trying to find real answers and practicing it, it seems like you're making a fuck ton of progress with your own movement, with your own athleticism. Right. Yeah. I, I I think it kind of goes to show that like, a lot of people, like we, we always tell stories, right? Humans are storytellers. And a lot of people tell this story about themselves that goes, I'm no good at this, or I have a bad back, or the doctor told me this, and this is the way that it is. And they have a fixed mindset about it. And you right now are changing the story about yourself by working on these things. If there's one takeaway that I want people to have from this, it's that like that story can change. We author our own story. And our bodies are infinitely adaptable, dude. If you are still fucking breathing, then your body is capable of changing. So I hear so that, that it just drives me crazy, man. When I hear people say like, "Oh, I just have bad knees, bro. I'm like, well, have you ever tried fucking working on them? Because you don't have right. bad knees. Your knees hurt in the past. Your knees are great. Your, your knees are fucking fantastic. Let's make them even better. You, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I get frustrated, man, just talking about this. I hate that so much. But so, so what's that been like for you going from this dude who couldn't even squat down to now doing all this WEC method stuff and all that kind of fun
0: shit? Man, it's been fun. I'll tell you this. I think I'm a unique case because I've done a lot of the traditional things. I've done the whole drive the knees out, but eventually there, again, there's two sides to every coin. And if your probably
1: have done a fuck ton of DMT. So. Yes. Yeah. So if I'm if, a unique if, case, cause I smoked a lot of DMT. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. So, so I see all this stuff and I, I, more than anything, I think I've come to realize that I had to stop being afraid of doing things that seemed less ideal and Mm. how they were oftentimes two sides to the same coin. I got Mm. caught up in the mindset of my toes needed to point forward. They were not allowed to point outward. Who,
1: Who told you this?
0: Oh, dude. I mean, you see the movement coaches and all that kind of stuff that talk about these things when it comes to walking mechanics or whatever. Uh, And yeah, maybe if, maybe if, even if I didn't have hip sockets that were turned a certain way, or maybe if I didn't have such strong external rotators so that when I was in a neutral situation, I'm still pulled outward, right? Like if you have stronger external rotators than internal rotators, which you will have in the hip joint, you know, just Mm -hmm. like you'll have stronger internal rotators of the shoulder joint than external so it's going to be as you develop strength in these muscles what will neutral go to i mean i i hate i keep i keep needing to say james fuller's name because these are conversations where i i i i I don't want to just say that these are things i've found on my own accord and he has Mm -hmm. made me think of a lot of mindful things so that is something that he had a long discussion with me one day about about the the hip thing and and it's like i knew that toes forward was wrong. I knew that Kelly Starette, the go to people, I knew that they had good intentions, but mm-hmm. just telling people to put their toes forward. Well, you know what happens when somebody heel hooks you, it could, it could be a range of motion in the ankle. It could be due to hip internal rotation. Mm-hmm. It could be just like a tibia and, and, and feet, femur um, could change their relationship. So I started torquing myself. I was turned outward. I didn't fix the turned outward nature of my hip. And then I started torquing my lower Uh, half of my leg inward. So I was still fucked up with the patterns that wanted me to open my toe. Now Mm -hmm. I had drilled compensations in myself where I was essentially Mm -hmm. always heel hooking myself. And what has helped me more than anything in allowing my feet to be able to go forward or outward at will, believe it or not, it's been plie stances. This Hmm. thing that I've avoided opening my toes all the way, the foot positions of ballet and, and squat sort of things and frog pose where you're Toes are turned outward, right? Mm. So you're, I mean, it's the relationship now of my knee to my toe. So I'm starting to learn that, you know, embrace both sides to every coin, and then you can choose where you are within that range.
1: Well, I, I, this brings up a a more like applicable point to a lot of people, I think. So it sounds like you know you were you were told something, you were told by these people it needs to be this way, and you tried it, and you tried their method, and tried it, and tried it, and tried it. And tried it. And if anything, maybe you even felt worse, but you weren't seeing progress, right? So then it's like, okay, well, fuck, this isn't working. Let's try something different. That really shouldn't be a groundbreaking discovery of like, I've been going down this one path, and I haven't made any progress. Maybe I should stop beating my head against this wall and pick a different path. I talked to so many people, dude, who like, they've stretched their whole lives, and they're still tight. And they think the answer is like, I just need to stretch more, bro. If you've been stretching for a year and your hamstrings still feel tight, guess what? You don't need to stretch. Let's look at something different. I don't know why that's a revolutionary thought to a lot of people. Yeah,
0: you you at least need to find something new to stretch. I mean, at the very least, yes, yeah.
1: yeah. Like let's let's stop fucking banging your head against a wall here. But so, um, what kind of things have you seen like make a big change in your own practice? Because I don't know too much about the Weck method. I'm intrigued by it, but I I I, haven't.
0: David's going to be on here. Uh, We're scheduling a date now. Um,
1: Cool. Yeah,
0: I will tell you this: Um, these sorts of concepts. There's no such thing as having scoliosis or not having scoliosis, right? There's extreme cases, and there are minor cases. We put the the marker at whatever it is, thirty five degrees of. Whatever,
1: arbitrary designation of it.
0: But there's absolutely no such thing as perfect alignment, perfect structure, and and there are asymmetrical styles of high level athletes. You have agility foot, power foot. You have all sorts of weird imbalances, and there are people out there who have limb length discrepancies that have all that have flat foot feet that have bunions and Morton's toes and all of these things and knock knees and pronate their ankle. And they function at a very, very high level Mm -hmm. for very long periods of time. And they don't get injured. And I needed to, to realize that, that it's, it's more than just putting myself into the square hole that that the round peg into the square hole thing will never be the answer that doesn't mean that it's ideal to squat with a round back that doesn't mean that it's ideal to pronate the ankle severely or have flat feet or not try to do something about it but there is a chance just like with my toes pointing outward that trying to squish it into the hole is wrong and and just generally trying to see a a broader picture of, well, what am I weak at? Well, let's try and get stronger here. What am I uncomfortable at mechanically? Like, like tumbling sorts of practices and, and ranges of motion and, and taking the, the bigger step. Like you said, have I been developing my posterior chain, but my back still feels tight and it still feels weak, even though I do all of these full range strengthening movements. Well, let, let, let's change something up. Let, let's, give a try to this whole left to right balance thing you know being left dominant being right dominant Let, let's try things like um splitting the body in half and figuring it out left to right hang from one arm and see how that feels compared to hanging from the other and mm-hmm just realizing that I didn't need to be a certain way. I only needed to just feel generally stronger, generally Mm -hmm. better. And whatever Mm -hmm. worked was working, but chances are it's only going to be until it finds balance. Anything that you do that feels better is not necessarily what you are going to do to continue to feel better. Yeah. You know, You can can take black all the way past center line into white. And if gray is ideal, you know,
1: absolutely a few things. I, I think, I think we're actually on the same page without knowing it so much about what I call training to the weakest link in the chain. And I think what you're describing of breaking down, maybe like what each side of the body is capable of and things like that. And seeing, like you said, you know, you need to achieve some balance and then you can progress past that right? So like if you can only hang for, with one arm for like five seconds, you can hang for a minute on the other side and all you're doing is barbell bench press. Guess what? You're overworking one side and underworking the other, right? So I, I don't know if that's where you're going with the left no, versus right thing. Cause that's
0: for the record. It, I I would imagine we would agree, or at least I, yeah. I would agree with almost everything that, that anything yeah, I've ever heard you say, I agree with. We just are different types of thinkers in some ways. Right. So, and that's, that's what's you know, really
1: interesting to me is like, yeah, we're, we're those ideas come together you said something else also like you don't need to move a certain way just because that's what you see everyone else doing or that's what's told to you you just need to find ways to get stronger and do whatever feels good for you right so there's I think a lot of like lay people right because like you and I both have a strong background in the strength and conditioning stuff I don't think that that's true of the average jujitsu athlete I think the average guy like maybe even found jujitsu and that's like the only athletic pursuit that they have. And you know, my, my one good friend, Phil, he was like one of my first clients. Now he's like my best friend. He's a tall lanky motherfucker. And like, he wanted to train, he wanted to strength train. He wanted to get stronger, but barbell back squats for a 40 year old man who's never really lifted before. And is one of the lankiest motherfuckers I've ever seen. Like he's not just going to jump into that and have a good experience of doing barbell back squats. Right. So we got him doing some goblet squats with a kettlebell. He never felt better. So I think people need to like, let go of a lot of ideas that they have about what strength training has to look like and let go of ideas of like what they should look like and what movements they should be doing because they see everyone else doing it in the gym I think people really need to find what works for them they need to find a coach or find a provider who can work with them to discover what it is that works for your body type and your interests and and just find what works for your life as opposed to trying to fit your life into what you think it's supposed to look like
0: yeah and and Okay, so, and and what I said is probably way too complicated for the layman and it's very <laughs> subjective to me and I didn't mm-hmm. give anything specific. I will say a few things that I think specifically anybody could understand and, and it gives a better idea of the way I look at things. If you say the answer is turn your toes in, that is going to help some people. It is going to hurt some people. And it Mm -hmm. might make not might make a not make a lick of difference for some people. And as an intelligent person, you could say that maybe that will actually help 80% of people. Maybe it would hurt 10% of people. And like there are it's not 50-50. Not every side of every coin is 50-50. So so working on bridging backwards might help a larger percent of people than another exercise. another pattern Mm -hmm. i i'm not i don't want to go down that lane but there are things out there that are wholly beneficial and finding a mentor that you want to be more like and listening to that motherfucker and trying to embody them that's probably not a bad idea and trust somebody who has far more wisdom than you more experience and you you like the way they think you let you like the thing and and just you know, still think for yourself. Mentorship, yeah. very, very beneficial, been very effective for me. Um, embodying things, you know, if if I don't want to get injured when I'm working out, instead of thinking of of being reckless, instead of thinking of, of switching adrenaline, which might make me drive past certain things or not recognize certain things, I want to embody grace. I want to embody comfort. Mm. You can always get better at your ability to breathe. Well, how is it going to hurt you to breathe better during a movement. How, now could it hurt you getting too damn fired up? Could it hurt you trying to be too strong when you're not strong enough yet? Could it be and then you know, yeah, like you said, it's a great example. Knowing what feels right, I beat myself up for years trying to squat through injuries that told me I shouldn't be fucking back squatting, and I should have found something else until mm-hmm. it felt better and used mm-hmm. back squatting as a mechanical tool. I mean, there was a time I was deadlifting six hundred pounds, but sometimes my hip would be bothering so me so much I couldn't deadlift. I couldn't squat two twenty five, right? right? You know, yeah. and
1: that's a red flag. <laughs> it's a red
0: flag but i i did everything i could to work through the pain i did every stupid thing every warm up thing you could imagine mm-hmm. i've experimented so many different ways and ultimately i've come back to just hey comfortable movements are probably ones that are ready to develop a large amount of strength on ones that aren't comfortable use them to get comfortable what is your weakness and improve it sometimes your weakness Mm -hmm. isn't strength it's discomfort which is something you can improve in any movement pattern and it's hard because what is it it's uncomfortable so why on earth would we want to do it why would somebody who sucks at dropping down for a single leg or a double leg want to figure out that movement pattern of drucking Dro- dropping down to a knee when you're doing your your wrestlers walks down the line in warm-ups the duck walks the whatever and dropping down to a knee doesn't feel comfortable i mean you're just gonna avoid that like the fucking plague but
1: but that's exactly what they need to work on
0: it's exactly what you need to work on now who's gonna blow their damn knee out slowly building up to the ability to just kind of drop to a knee better on a mat
1: Mm -hmm. by themselves. I mean, or with some hand support, use a TRX, take some weight off of it. Yeah.
0: Do whatever you're not afraid of. If you're afraid of dropping down to a knee with, with free weight, with just body weight, find something that doesn't trigger fear, right? Mm -hmm. Because fear is another thing. Movement fear causes a lot of injury. If you're afraid to lift with a rounded back, if you're afraid to lift with like that, um, What's that style of lunge, curtsy lunge, where you like yeah. have your knee turned inward versus knee mm-hmm. outward. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people are very, very are scared of, yeah. of internal rotation. Yeah. Despite the fact that we have a ball and socket in our hip. Dude, we I, had used t- to raise,
1: th- I used to raise a lot of eyebrows in the PT clinic when I would have my soccer playing female athletes put their knee, like intentionally cave their knee in and do single leg squats. Love it. Because I told them, this is 100% going to happen to you when you're on the field. I would rather you spent some time preparing for it in the clinic as opposed to never training it. So the first time it happens is when you're going for a ball against an opponent and that's how you tear your fucking ACL. So we're getting back to the being comfortable in these uncomfortable positions, exposing your body to it, learning to breathe there, not having your brain be in fight or flight mode, but having it just know how to chill and operate from that place. So I'm 100% on board with you. What you said about, you know, if dropping in for a single leg fucking hurts, you're the type of person who's going to avoid that. That's the exact shit that you need to work on. Yeah. And that's the idea like the obstacle is the way it comes from like stoicism, right? It's like find whatever your weakness is, find that thing that you want to avoid. And wanting to avoid it is the number one clue that that is the thing that you need to address or that you need to work on. And that's true of like, personal life for sure and this is actually a really great tie-in to like ayahuasca and shit like that yeah because it will it will show you some shit that you don't want to see and that's the exact shit that you
0: need to see um we got to get to that soon we got yeah it's a perfect tie-in. that's good <laughs> we because we want to talk about that a little bit i do want to talk about that
1: yeah um is there anything else you want to cover on the movement stuff we I don't know we if... might
0: come back i'm let you know what let me think uh for w- one sec okay
1: oh, what one one actually? i'm yeah, sorry go We're ahead next- you
0: say what you're gonna say yeah
1: Just one other thing I thought of as, as you were talking before about, you know, your experience with deadlifting versus squatting. So I got this from my mentor, uh, Jason Park, fucking genius, uh, who I think got it from his mentor. The, the idea, the motto is every rep should be therapeutic. So if you're in the gym and you're squatting, ask yourself at the end of your set, did that set make my body healthier? Did it make my mind healthier? Was that a therapeutic exercise for me? The answer should be yes. So if you get done with your squats and you're fucking hobbling out of the gym because your hip is so sore, that wasn't a therapeutic workout for you. And having that mindset can only help you. That's going to make sure that you train to that weakest link in the chain. It's going to make sure that you don't push past these warning signs that your body's giving you. And guess what? Over time, you will still get just as strong as if you push past that. I would argue on a longer time scale, you're going to get stronger because you're going to be able to stay in the gym more and avoid those injuries and stay training longer than someone who pushes past it for like short-term strength gains. So every rep should be therapeutic. That's, that's end rant.
0: Yeah, no, that, I mean, if you follow that rule, I would imagine a lot of problems you're experiencing could go away. If you are experiencing problems from, from strength training, um, might as well, we, we should just get right into the, uh, we should get right into the, um, whole, whole psychedelic thing. I mean, psychedelics have definitely changed huge, big time. My, my outlook on life, my, my vision, my ability to change. It's given me abilities to see things that I'm capable of. Whereas at one point in my life, maybe I couldn't see a single path and now I can see an infinite number of paths. I didn't, I didn't, no options. And now I have more options than I could ever know what to do with more understanding of others. Whereas before Mm -hmm. at one point in time, I felt like I didn't really understand others. And and so many things, it's what drew me to even create the Instagram that I did, which led to the podcast, which, which led to all of this connection of people and it is built such a big picture because it it came to me to create this thing that I had kind of kept in the dark because I was a sober person for 27 years of my life. I had never done a drug. I, really? I, I, I decided DMT seemed very, very interesting. I was like, I, I, I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't fathom it. And not that other psychedelics didn't seem interesting. They always seemed interesting, but mm-hmm. something about DMT and, and ayahuasca and, meeting these these wise beings that told you things about your life all this stuff i was like that is something that i need to experience so i sought it I, you know sought after it so, and so, went so down you, that went, path.
1: you went from never doing any drugs to smoking DMT
0: well this was the path i i borrowed some weed from my girlfriend smoked weed for a little while i got my hands on some mushrooms I, okay. I So I did, but it was in a very okay. short period of time.
1: Yeah, it's a quick we're, progression.
0: We're talking like, I don't even know if it was six months, five wow. months. I went from smoking pot. I ate mushrooms a few times. I, I did acid and MDMA together once. Nice. And then um, I finally got DMT. And then, yeah, I, I had a lengthy period of time where because it's so short and because I was already doing something that I could synergize it with, I had a nightly routine of smoking some DMT alongside a mindful practice, a yogic practice, a music wow. practice, a shadow box, boxing practice and intention, a prayer practice. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. just started integrating DMT into my nightly routine for about a year. Um, So for about a year, and there were periods of times where I would would just, you know, you know, I'm an extreme guy. So we're talking like,
1: I'm getting that. yeah, Yeah,
0: I would go like two hours where I might clear like six breakthroughs worth, dude. And then like, you have this sense, like, maybe I could do a little more when you're already in another thing. And it's like, do it, you know, and you do it. And you just see things you never could fathom that could be possibly to be seen. And one, the, the most 100 extraordinary moments of my life have all been on DMT, period. <laughs> Nothing that's comes amazing. close. So that's, that, that's it in a nutshell. That, that is the backstory of the psychedelic athlete, the integration. And I don't do it like that anymore. I don't even mm-hmm. really, sm- I mean, since the last sober October, I haven't gotten back to really smoking pot except on extreme occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the progressions. But I had never drank alcohol until after all of that. Like I had never done a thing in my life. Hmm. So it's very much DMT is what, and the Joe Rogan podcast led me to that. The first ever episode I listened to was a Graham Hancock episode. Oh, got so me good. fascinated. So let's hear, let's hear what happened on, on your behalf, or give me a little bit about some things you learned or went through or, or whatever,
1: oh, man. Well, I, I guess I could paint a little backstory since you gave yeah. me yours. So yeah. Um... Growing up, I was always really interested in consciousness and in just psychology, just the way that our brain works. I think it's the most fascinating thing. I like it used to blow my mind that the brain like named itself the brain. I, I don't know. When I was like 13 years old, that just kind of blew my little 13-year-old mind. But so I was always fascinated by that. I got into uh when I was in grad school, my buddy turned me on to podcasts and I started listening to Joe Rogan and Sam Harris. And so you're familiar with Sam Harris? Oh yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah.
1: Okay. And so at the time I was like super hardcore atheist. Same. I was like weirdly like proud of that. Like I identified with Sam. He's like super intellectual. I thought I was fucking smarter than everybody else. And Sam also talks a lot about exploring consciousness and exploring the mind. And he talks about his experience with LSD to do that. And so Long and short of it, the same buddy had some LSD. I decided it was time for me to test it out. Um, I accidentally ate way too much and I tripped for like 13 solid hours, uh, (laughs) which was (laughs) fucking intense. Um, After like eight hours, I was still able to tell myself like, it's okay, David, you took a drug. It has an effect. It'll wear off. You'll be fine. After like 11, like 10, 11 hours, I was starting to worry that like this was my life now. Right. And I came to terms with that. I was like, dude, PT school is going to be really hard when everything is made of fractals. But like, we're going to find a way to, to pass the boards. I'll still, <laughs> I like came to terms with the fact that just everything was made of fractals now, um, <laughs> but tried it a few more times, um, tried mushrooms a couple times. And I was just so fascinated with everything that was shown to me with the, the, the fact that The same brain that is perceiving every day, like day to day reality, right? The same, the same eyes that see the road when I'm driving, whatever is going on in here is capable of perceiving the fucking most bliss I've ever, like more bliss than I've ever imagined, more patterns and colors than I ever could imagine. Just such a, such a greater range of possible experiences than you will ever experience in normal day to day life and that just fascinated me it also opened me to the possibility of like hey maybe I was wrong about atheism because I, I I think like just doing LSD kind of opened me to that possibility of like there's some more shit going on here there's a pattern to all of this that is normally not seen but there's some underlying structure of the universe there's some something going on that I think the psychedelics allow you to tap into a little bit and then fast forward to about a year and a half ago. So I guess kind of the start of the pandemic, maybe maybe two years ago at this point, I was going to Costa Rica for a jujitsu camp with uh, Silver Fox. My academy does like a jujitsu camp in Costa Rica every year. And I knew that they did ayahuasca in Costa Rica. And I was very interested in that. So I started doing some research because I figured I'll be in the country anyway. So let's see if we can make this work. And just so happened that Sultara in Costa Rica, they had an ayahuasca retreat starting on the day that my jujitsu camp ended. So I was like, perfect. Let's sign up for this. So I left the jujitsu camp, took a ferry to go to Sultara. I met my fiance, now fiance on the ferry. She was working there. She like picked me up from the ferry and um, yeah, sat with ayahuasca for a week. Um, By far the most profound and transformative experience of my entire life. No doubt. And, um, continue to feel the effects of the medicine pretty much every day in, in a lot of ways that we can talk about. And, um, I think it's really, I think the psychedelics create such a profound shift of your experience of life that it kind of gives new meaning to everything. So I, I imagine it's, it's the same thing of like someone survives cancer and they say, "Man." having cancer was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it puts everything in life into a new perspective. I imagine it's like that for someone maybe who goes to war and it's just such an intense experience that now everything is seen through that lens of that experience. You go on this like hero's journey of like death and rebirth. And now you can apply those lessons to every situation that you go through in the rest of your life. And it's made me now become like a super, Super spiritual in the sense of, like, I practice, like, bhakti yoga. I chant to Krishna. I fucking pray to, like, Krishna and Ganesha every day. I have a Ganesha tattoo. So I went from being super atheist to, like, a Hare Krishna person. Yeah. Um, mostly because of ayahuasca. That yeah, was I'm, a, into, a, I'm into the Ganesha
0: thing, too. No, the first the first thing I ever saw was a Ganesha. And I every mm-hmm. time I see something that seems like what I have aligned with or, or what makes the most sense to me, it's always an elephant related hmm. figure, male, female. Um, and it, it's fascinating, man. I, I, I'm not sure what you've experienced with ayahuasca, but it's like that stuff is the Mecca of everything remotely mystical and, and
1: have you experienced ayahuasca? Have you sat with it?
0: I've done orally activated DMT a little bit. What I've done a lot of, so mushrooms convert into a form of DMT into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. And I've had like, say, an eight gram mushroom trip where over that span of time, I smoked about a gram of DMT, which is a good bit, you know, like that's about 20 breakthroughs worth. and. Um, I've done stuff like that, but I've never done like a real ayahuasca ceremony. I've infused DMT into different herbs that make it Mm -hmm. last longer and, and have had different experiences. I've also done DMT with every other drug I've ever done. So every time I've done ketamine, I've done it with DMT. Every time I've done nitrous, I've done it with DMT. So I've experienced DMT in so many different ways. I'm sure ayahuasca would be very, very unique and different for me, but I have, I have synergized it in a lot of ways, just like ayahuasca is a synergy, you know?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, you've had a lot more experiences than I have, and your consciousness has been fucking twisted in many ways. The mine has not through all of that, but I will say something that you really should, experience, I think, in your life is working with real traditional Shipibo shamans. So I can attest that like in my experience there, the actual consumption of the ayahuasca brew, like drinking the DMT and the MAOI is such a small fraction of what actually occurred in that Maloka. Because the the shamans, they're from the Shipibo. Uh, the Shipibos are, are like a culture of native Central Americans. right? They're, they're a tribe. And they've been working with ayahuasca since time immemorial. Right? They have story, like origin stories, origin myths in their culture of how they came to know ayahuasca. It's really fascinating. And so these shamans, they prepare the ayahuasca and they guide the entire ceremony. And they do it through singing songs to you. They have these songs called Icaros and I know that you work with mantras and sounds so you know the potency of sound to affect your yeah. consciousness right so the I, I think the consumption of the actual ayahuasca just maybe lifts the veil between our everyday life and whatever this spiritual realm is that these shamans are working in and it blurs those lines a little bit and then the shamans through their songs and through you know I, I'm not going to pretend to understand how they operate they work with the energy of the ayahuasca to bring you the exact healing that you need. So the way it works, at least at Soltara, we were a group of maybe 20 people. You all sit around the maloka. It's like this beautiful hut. You go around one by one and drink the ayahuasca. The shamans start singing to everyone. And then they come around, they sit at the foot of your bed and sing to you. And you like receive this healing from the ayahuasca through them. And we had these sharing circles where people discuss their experience. there was one night where I, I felt so uncomfortable the whole time. Like I just couldn't get comfortable. I was really hot and just kind of agitated. So I decided to try to settle myself. I was going to do loving kindness meditation. So I kind of did, did some breathing and I went around the entire room doing loving kindness meditation, trying to like send healing and send prayers that everyone in the room got the healing that they were there for that night, something like three or four people, had this experience of this like energy white light coming down and performing surgery on their bodies this one guy had like chronic shoulder pain he said he saw a white light coming down and operating on his body and it like healed his pain people had like all these kind of visions of that and there there were like three or four people with like very similar visions on this night where i'm like praying and thinking about i like I was praying that the shamans provided the healing to all of these people. And I'm not saying that I, I don't take credit for that whatsoever, but it's just like such a fucking weird concurrence, man. You know, you hear stories of like group hallucinations and that's a hundred percent what was going on there, man. Like the same people had the same visions. I don't think that that's just because they all happened to drink ayahuasca. I think there's some more shit going on in that Maloka than just consuming DMT.
0: Oh yeah, dude. I know. I mean, I've had stuff like that happen many times as far as like groups having things, see the same mm-hmm. things, um, feel like you went somewhere together in the moment. Yeah. You're like, are you, we all going through this? And we're like, I think we are. Yeah. And we all yeah. remember, you know, and the yeah. animals are paying attention to what the hell yeah. you're oh, paying attention dude. to animals. Get when the animals pay it.
1: attention to it, that's the craziest shit. Weird. Um, Very I'll, bizarre. Tell you, I'll tell you one more story from. Yeah. Sintar if you want to hear it. Yeah, I do. So. I had, and this is another reason why I believe it has very little to do with the DMT itself. And I know the DMT stays in your body a while, but we drank two nights in a row. Then we had a night off and then we drank two more nights. So Wednesday was our night off. So I was really scared of shitting my pants during ceremony because you hear all these, you hear all these stories of people like purging, like throwing up and shitting their pants. And I was like, man, I really don't want to shit my pants. So I like asked mother ayahuasca to please like not let me shit my pants each night. And then, so I, I successfully don't shit my pants during ceremony. We have this one night off Wednesday and I'm, I'm just meditating all day, like praying, thinking about stuff. I go to sleep that night in my dream. Like I have a full on medicine dream as they call it. This is the only time that I really tripped. So during the actual ceremonies, it was more like microdosing mushrooms for me. In my dream, I was gone and I had all these really crazy visions had visions of snakes that showed me really dark stuff, which we can talk about if you want to go there. So I have this full like medicine dream trip in my dream. I wake up, I get insanely sick. This is the one night where we did not drink ayahuasca for legit, like five hours. I was just glued to the toilet, just like shitting my brains out and throwing up and just like crawling back to bed. And then 20 minutes later, I would wake up and just run back to the bathroom all on the one night where we did not even have ceremony. I think it was ayahuasca just fucking with me. It's like, okay, you won't shit your pants in the maloca, but you're going to fucking have diarrhea in your hotel room. And so that was like the most powerful like medicine experience that I had was on the one night where we didn't even drink the ayahuasca. And that's why I think like it has very little to do with consuming it. And it has everything to do with the shamans calling in the spirits and calling in the help from the spirits and the ancestors and all that kind of shit.
0: Yeah. Um, I I imagine it it could, it definitely, that's, there's something, they know something, they've practiced something and they have a strong damn practice at what they do. And Mm -hmm. the more integrity they specifically have and the better their relationship is, the more empathy and, and synergy you have uh, amongst each other, the more extraordinary it's going to be. It's, it's, it's something that I definitely want to do. I want it to be when it's something I really want to do, um, because I just feel like I came to an epiphany. It was kind of told to me like, hey, man, look at how much healing you've seen done around you. You've shared DMT Mm -hmm. with over 100 people, and you've Mm -hmm. seen firsthand the extraordinary effect one experience has. And they're not even taking it to the level that you take it when you take it hard, when it's Mm -hmm. time to buckle up the seatbelt and go aggressively. Like they're scratching the surface and they're coming away with life changing and, totally. and important messages. And you're getting all of these messages, but you're not processing them. You're not, mm, you're, integrating them. You're not seeing them. So I just feel like in the past um, year, whatever, however long um, really it's been a, a couple years of like decline as far as the amount of stuff that I do experimenting I mean I haven't done anything random like a like a ketamine type thing like I was talking about I've only done stuff like that a few times but but I haven't experimented or done anything like that I do want to try the cactuses I do want to get some uh, you know I I have some heritage in that kind of too like having a little bit of Native American in me it fascinates me and I'm just very very fascinated by the by the cacti, because I've never done one of those. But regardless, I came to this conclusion that I just needed to to let what I've experienced sink in and integrate a bit back more into my own reality, because I have so much that I can appreciate and so much that I've experienced that, I mean, it's, it's to the nth degree more than some people who have taken it, have taken it right, like I mean, it's just so much more grand that I need to take the time to really appreciate and and sponge up what I've seen, what I've learned, what it what I think it means, and be on the other side of it a little bit.
1: I you know I'm super. I love hearing that you have this perspective on it now. Um, also, when you are ready to sit with <laughs> ayahuasca, we should talk because maybe you can to Peru with
0: the uh you're breaking up um, a li- you broke up a little bit but i think you mentioned going to peru with you is that what you were yes, saying you, you yes. got me can you hear yeah, me yeah i got you now yeah. you're good yeah
1: okay i was just gonna say when is, when you feel ready to sit with ayahuasca again we should talk okay um yes because there okay. might be a retreat being organized to peru soon
0: okay yeah let, yeah keep me in the loop on that because i think i would be down it's just something that i haven't done for a few reasons, especially when mm-hmm. you have access to DMT and it's so mm-hmm. damn sure. extraordinary. Yeah. Sure. it's and it, But it's something I need to do. And it might be like the, the feather in the cap or like the, the star to hang up on the Christmas tree, so <laughs> to speak, to, to actually do the real and to be somebody, to be, not that I, I don't consider myself a shaman. I don't consider myself anything more than anybody else experiencing this stuff. But mm. it's nice, like when I go to a yoga class Even though I know all of this stuff about the body and I know all of this stuff about my journey and I probably could intellectualize yogic principles and concepts and understand Mm -hmm. things to a deeper level than even the average instructor. It's Mm -hmm. nice to just strip myself of that and be somebody else's problem for a little while.
1: Yeah. To not have to be
0: responsible for just because I'm good at being my own coach, my own guide and developing my own individual relationship with something. It is easier to take a back seat sometimes.
1: Absolutely. And that's part of the psychedelic experience, right? It's like surrendering to whatever it's trying to teach you. And in this case, surrendering to letting the shamans, run the show instead of you being the person serving the medicine all the time. One other thing I, I wanted to say is like, it's, it's awesome that you're developing this perspective of like, okay, I don't actually need more medicine. I need more time to integrate the lessons that I've been shown. I, I tried to be as respectful as possible showing up to ayahuasca. I literally like worked with a coach on intention setting. And the way I looked at it was like, I'm showing up to a private lesson with like, a grand master in jujitsu right like imagine showing up to a, a private lesson with helio gracie or or like i i was a white belt at the time so i was thinking like my professor silver fox i guess i just got my blue belt but like you're not going to show up to that private lesson without questions you know y- you might show up and be like hey show me whatever you think i need to know that's good but you're going to show up with some preparation right you're going to show up thinking like okay I, I know that i need to work on this part of my game and i know that i i I want to listen. I want to really listen to what they're saying. And I want to take it home and work on it. You're not going to book another private lesson the next day when you haven't had a chance to go roll and try out those things that they showed you. And I think that that's what doing a ton of psychedelics is like, is like showing up to another private lesson before you've went home and spent the time drilling what you learned from the first one. Yeah. And I I know I had that experience uh, doing some LSD when I had no business doing LSD and that shit smacked me in the fucking face because I had learned a lot of lessons already from the last time and I hadn't put them into practice. And it was one of the toughest experiences of my entire life because I knew that I hadn't done the things that I was shown last time. And it was like, okay, why, why are you showing up back here? Go work on this shit. Now we're just going to show you all the shit that you should be working on. It was awful.
0: (sighs) Yeah. Um, I, Oh, um, you're I breaking up. With
1: you at all like the mindset that you have about it now
0: you broke up one second um I'm sorry man no no you're good this time it was me I think but uh don't worry about it um I it, what you're saying does resonate Uh, For sure. And I know what you mean. I've had times where it's like when I had access to this stuff and it was newer to me and it's like, I have a free eight hours. So why wouldn't I, this is my opportunity to eat mushrooms. This is my Mm -hmm. opportunity and I'm not prepared for it. I don't have an intention doing it just to do it getting smacked. Um, Yeah. You know, those are lessons you learn. It doesn't make them necessarily bad, but there were parts of it that, you Mm -hmm. know, you learn things the hard way and mm-hmm. sometimes you, you don't, and respect is a factor. Wisdom mm-hmm. is a factor. I'll tell you something. I do want to circle back to something sure. relating to the body, um, things that I believe about myself, about people. Um, I, I think that just like I think that everybody has some sort of asymmetries, imbalances, whatever. The The biggest concept that I've taken away from my yogic psychedelic experiences as I've been guided by weird beings in my head that coach me into moving left and right and spinning my head and lifting my chin back and doing weird bizarre things and I'm just changing this eruption of visualizations and energy traveling all the way up to my head and just fireworks going off as I'm I eliminate all sensations of feeling in the body and I just feel just Zen like eruptions. And I've, I've had so many bizarre experiences. And I've been guided into so many different directions by things that are greater than myself. And it is insane. I've had things that distract me to look one way and then all of a sudden my back gets cracked. And then mm-hmm. I'm told that I'm like crooked in one area and I need to do this and put I mean, we wind ourselves into so many bizarre positions and ways, and that becomes our new baseline. And I think that everybody could practice undoing tension and reverse Mm. engineering the winds of the body. Chances are one shoulder is wound up in one direction and twisted and twisting it further from that point in either direction is wrong. It's unwinding it. You can wind something one way, then wind it the other, then stop it there and wind it more. And you can create all sorts of bizarre amounts of additional tension, just like you can force yourself further into a forward fold by adding additional forces and creating new bizarre patterns of locking up. But ultimately something that I think is great to explore with. It's something I think about when I do yoga. It's something that psychedelics is used to sort of unwind my body is undoing the the twisting and rotations in our ball and socket joints allowing ourselves to relax in our hinge joints and allowing ourselves to fold different directions and it is not it's not pushing ourselves forward into this it is falling backwards into it it is that that just the simple idea of reverse engineering our imbalances and our intentions and and being in tune with where do i feel something right now maybe it's in my belly what can i do to eliminate that feeling can i just let go of whatever it is i'm holding on to it might be in my mouth it might be in my jaw my throat my hands you know most
1: people aren't even aware though of what what it is that their body's actually feeling and if we want to talk about using drugs constructively Smoke some weed and go stretch, dude. Cannabis assisted movement, I I think, is like the fucking future of movement training. If you smoke some good indica and you go stretch or you go swing around a fucking club bell, you are going to discover exactly how your body feels. And you're going to discover all of this tension and fatigue in your shoulders or your neck or your hip or your abs that you didn't even know that you were carrying around all day. And some people don't smoke weed because it freaks them out because they actually just become aware of all of those things and they don't like how it feels. They'd rather just ignore it. So I, I'm totally with you. The, the, the winding and unwinding thing is an interesting perspective, but I think it's actually a lot of this conversation has been you saying something with terms I may not be familiar with, but the idea resonates. So I I think I do a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm a big fan of uh, these flow ropes. Have you ever seen that?
0: I dude, Yes, I have the weck method. The, yeah, the, the, the weck.
1: weck has the ropes, too. He, I think I actually he was have one the, of the first ones. I think yeah. He might
0: have been the one who started the idea of not jumping with the rope. You have these yeah. six, eight, whatever athletic patterns. Dude, I need to play with it more.
1: My I, I keep it so basic because I'm I'm bad at it, honestly. Yeah, I, I should spend more time. So I do the most basic two that he says to start with my fucking shoulders and like thoracic spine, my upper spine feels so goddamn good when I do that. So many times when I smoke weed, I just do this weird like shoulder rolling kind of like serpentine movement. Cause it's just gets like the shoulders rolling back. It gets like the, the thoracic spine side bending and rotating. Just play with that with the ropes, dude. You're going to feel so good. It's almost- yeah.
0: You know, you know, the- this is something I should ask about threat. To me, I think one of the most misunderstood hard to conceptualize things is thoracic extension, thoracic mobility, not extension specifically, just thoracic mobility. What exactly am I supposed to feel? Am I supposed to feel like my rib cage is swiveling while my, my spine stays in a, in a straight sort of position. Am I only supposed to be moving above the belly button? button? Am I supposed to feel like I have like a bar between my collarbones and that is a pivot point? Is my head supposed to swivel or what exactly? And then it always fascinates me when you, when you look at the spine, we actually shouldn't have like the actual angle of the spine. Most people lose the arch of the lower back, the arch of the Mm -hmm. neck. And then they think they correct their posture through sort of arching in the shoulder blades, which goes against this, the, the curve of the spine. Grapplers yeah. lose the natural yeah. curves of their spine. They, they get a flat neck, which then is reflected in the lower back. Um, and, and what winds up happening is we have probably all of the three slopes of the spine get reversed, yet we still think we need to arch our, our thoracic. But I talk about posture a little bit. It confuses the fuck out of me, dude.
1: (laughs) Well, look, I'm I'm not going to make any claims to have all of the answers, but I'll tell you what I think. And this is a synthesis of, yeah, like my doctoral education, but a lot of that shit's fucking wrong too, honestly. So it's the synthesis of that and just kind of what makes sense. So this is the argument with the foot, right? You look at your foot, it's got so many fucking little bones and so many joints in there the presence of that many joints tells me that it's meant to be supple and flexible, and it's actually meant to move quite a bit. So you look at your spine, you've got each vertebrae articulating with the vertebrae above and below it in your thoracic spine. You've got each one articulating with the ribs as well. So there are a lot of fucking little joints in there. Now, different parts of your spine are meant to move differently, right? Like the thoracic spine really doesn't have too much extension. You're, there's there's other parts of your spine that have more but it needs some, right? So the fact that there's there's the presence of these joints, joints are supposed to move, right? That's a, We can agree on that as, as humans, our joints should be capable of expressing as much movement as possible. So when it comes to posture, I don't worry about like what posture someone's sitting in. I don't worry about how it looks when you stand. This is the kind of thing of like, don't fit the square peg into the round hole. Don't worry about what your posture should be worry about what variable postures you're capable of. So I don't care if you sit hunched forward on your laptop, if that's how you like to sit on your laptop, I care. Okay. After an hour of that, can I sit up straight? Can I tuck my chin back and lengthen my cervical spine? Can I extend at my, at my thoracic spine? Can I bend backwards with my upper back? So again, to, just to, to reiterate, it's like, I don't give a shit what you look like, I care. Can you move to the extremes and move back fluidly and comfortably and without pain and under load? Can you do it with weight? Does that make sense so far? Yeah. hundred percent. Cool. So when it comes to the thoracic spine, I really am a fan of like exploration, like self exploration. So I, I hesitate to tell someone it should feel like this, or you should feel this as you do it. So when I work with my clients, there's a certain set of movements that I use with them that I, I like to improve thoracic rotation and extension. But if I'm coaching you through it, I won't say, oh, do you feel this stretch in your upper back? I'll say, okay, take a couple breaths here, pay attention to what you feel and talk to me about what's going on in your body as you do this movement. And then based on what you tell me, I might give you some cues if I want you to hone in on something else. So a good example, you asked about the thoracic extension, like how that should feel have you ever done like laying on a foam roller, like using a foam roller to kind of just bend your spine backwards, like yeah. hyper your upper back? So I like to think of it like uh, when we do an arm bar, you're creating a fulcrum with your hips to hyperextend the elbow, right? When I see a lot of people using foam rollers, their hips are up in the air and they're just kind of rolling back and forth over top of it. So what I like to do is I use the foam roller as a fulcrum. So I have people sit on the floor with their hips down and their feet flat on the ground. We place the foam roller like halfway up their back, kind of on their upper back. I say, okay, keep your hips down. Use that foam roller as a fulcrum. Bring your shoulders down towards the ground. So now we're bending and extending your spine over top of that foam roller. Does that make sense? Do you you have a a picture of this? Yeah,
0: yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, of course, just getting more of an, it's more of an arching thing. So your hips and your shoulders. I use one of those Dharma wheel things and yoga blocks. There's like fish pose. Yeah. I've been playing with this shit my whole life, but they need people who's listening need to know what it is too. So have you ever played,
1: have you ever played with the position of your rib cage as you're sitting on that thing?
0: Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I've played, I've explored it. I'm not exactly sure if I want to flare it more or if I want to do the opposite while getting thoracic
1: extension. So what I'm my answer (laughs) is you should be capable of doing both. Both. Yeah. I would say though, if we want to work on thoracic extension, so if your rib cage flares up, then what happens is your thoracic spine moves as one unit because now we're moving your whole rib cage and we're actually getting the extension out of your lumbar spine. So what I want to see people be capable of is to tuck the rib cage down. So engage their abs, tuck the rib cage. There's a lot of like, are you familiar with PRI, Postural Rest- Restoration Institute? Yeah. Okay. So this is, this all comes from them. So we, we compress the rib cage, keep it tucked down and then keeping that ab engagement now extend over the foam roller. You won't go nearly as far and it feels counterintuitive because I'm asking you to do a crunch with your abs, but also extend backwards at the same time. So it feels funky, but if you're able to do that, And now we're truly segmenting your thoracic spine over top of that foam roller. And you will feel a a huge difference. You'll see that your lower back is straight. It's not arched anymore. And you will feel a fucking crazy stretch somewhere in your upper back. Have you ever done that?
0: um, I've experimented with it, but it is probably the one thing. It's probably something I should work more on. I think I would have the tendency to open the rib cage and move everything as one unit. I think I have too much lower ab hip flexor, lower back. I think I have a lot of tension surrounding there. And as Mm -hmm. I add some mid back and upper ab stability and, and tension sort of in the middle of my spine, the lowest part of my lat, um, just at the top of the the lumbar, the lowest part of thoracic and yeah, above my belly button, the muscles just below the rib cage, that anchoring through there, as I go through spinal movements seems to be something that, is not as natural for me, right? You know, I,
1: this is interesting. I I just did this with a client yesterday. And again, this is why we do assessments because this guy actually can move very well. Like his passive range is pretty good, but his brain for whatever reason doesn't feel safe there. And it's, it's guarding a lot. So he has so much resting tension in his body because his brain doesn't actually trust that his muscles can control him through that range of motion.
0: I probably have some of that.
1: Yeah. So we we actually, we see this a lot in like hypermobile people where the joints itself is lax. So the muscles just fucking hold on for dear life because they're scared of injuring the joint. So for him, I had him bending back on this foam roller and he went back like a couple inches and he was like freaking out. Like he felt like unsafe and felt like he was about to hurt something because he didn't know. He just didn't know how to be in that position. So we did exactly what I talked about before I coached him through getting there. And I said, okay, don't go any further. Just take like three slow deep breaths and just kind of put one hand on your belly and just feel yourself breathing. Cause if you're taking slow breaths, your brain can't freak out. So we got him to just feel comfortable being there. And we now taught his brain, Hey, this is a safe place to be in. We don't need to contract all these muscles and guard everything. Like I'm hanging out here and the world hasn't caught on fire yet. Like it's, it's, it's actually okay. You can relax a little bit. So that doesn't apply to everybody. Some people are genuinely like stiff in their joints. Um, But again, that's why we have to assess things.
0: Yeah, I, I would think I have the type of tension, like, for instance, at some point in my life, I learned that it was better to draw your shoulder blades back because that helps your posture and external rotation, this and blah, blah, blah. And next thing I know, I'm latching on to the idea mm-hmm. of drawing my shoulder blades back. And what is it going to do? It's going to rip, it's going to mm-hmm. lift my rib cage, totally. it's going to and then you hear well, lower abs are more important than your upper abs. So I plug that into my brain. And next thing I know, I am anchoring down in my lower abs and releasing my upper abs. And that causes imbalances of tension and it causes weird movement patterns and fear that are deep ingrained and It is. It's a vicious cycle that I think just takes a lot of time to unwork. I'm very aware of a lot of my issues and I I can see them more clearly in the past handful of years. It's just such a practice, dude. And I've gone through so many. I mean, I've played with Alexander method. I've played with, uh, I don't even know if you know what that is, but it's like a mindful approach to alignment. You like, there's different postures and you go through your body. I mean, I do all the yoga stuff. I've, I've looked really extensively into what's called like polarity work and understanding planes in the body and parallels, left, right, top, bottom, top, left, bottom, right Uh, laws of opposites and and mathematical breaking down of the body, you know, looking more into the nervous system, all this stuff, but it just comes down to the idea of like, it takes time to unwork and tell things, I, it's so ingrained in me. It's so I ingrained think, in me. I wake up every morning and it's like tight again,
1: <laughs> mm. you know? I, I, two, two thoughts came up. Number one, a lot of these systems, like you just listed like all of these like methods and all of these yeah. approaches, right? And like I, I'm functional range conditioning certified. I mentioned the PRI people. There's kernels of truth and like kernels of like, like human movement just that, that apply across the board in all of these systems. But guess what? I had to pay a thousand dollars to become certified through functional range conditioning. They taught me some shit that I could have learned from their fucking Instagram pages, but they had to take what's just true about humans and come up with fancy terms for it so that they could copyright it so that they can charge a physical therapist a thousand dollars to get their certification. And they're going to create hype around it so that they can get more people to pay them. And I'm not picking on FRC. Every single one of them is like this. So I like your approach of trying all of these different things because you, you probably found some stuff that you took with you from each one.
0: Yeah. Because ah, there are those... Keep <laughs> you your camera
1: doesn't want doesn't uh, to cooperate. There are a new one. There are like kernels and like nuggets of truth within each of these systems. The problem is that they tried to create a system out of it and copyright it and get you to pay for it. And th- this is why I like... Taoism I know that this is a hard left turn but Taoism basically says like hey there's a way that the universe is and you can flow with it or you can flow against it it's kind of your choice but they don't really try to classify everything they don't try to put a term on everything they even recognize that like the actual way that things are can't even be explained because of limitations in human language and I think that that gets to the point that we were making before of like all of this needs to be kind of a self a, a practice of self-discovery and you could work with mentors along the way to guide you, but no one has all of the right answers for you. If, if someone's trying to say, I have the exact solution to your problems, they're just trying to get your money. And I might make Instagram posts saying that cause I do want people's money, but I also want to guide people on that journey. Yeah,
0: yeah no. And, um, well, something that you you kind of preach that is important is that it's like it takes specificity, it takes subjectivity. I can't just tell you the system or the method, and it drives me nuts because you have intelligent people like, no disrespect, to knees over toes guy and Ben Patrick, but he makes this system and he says that this system will make you pain free, and I was it is just in,
1: talking about this. Yeah, it's
0: a front chain dominant system. It's knee focused. It it is inevitably going to cause imbalances after it causes balances. So that's the Taoist perspective. It causes fixes until it causes problems.
1: And I think it works for so many people because they have never trained that way. They've been trying the same shit. And here's this guy with a new approach that definitely has results up front. I'm big on strengthening the front of your knees. Like sissy squats, I love them, stuff like that. We have to stress your knees. But just like you said, that can't be all that you do. And it's not the system that's going to fix your problem. It's adding in this element to your training is going to improve right now. And then we need to look again at the big picture of your training and readjust once your status has changed. So I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah,
0: dude. My, I mean, my favorite hashtag on things like this would be Dao or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the way or, or balance or or understanding there's two sides every coin. I mean, I when I look at these methods, when I look at something like there's the go to coaches and they mm-hmm. believe that they're the ones the toes in they do slant boards that. Yeah. I don't know if you ever come across it, but but the point is, I've told people it's like, wow, I honestly think that some of these movement coaches that that if you did, this explains the two sides to every coin. This explains how plie helped me do the same thing that they're saying toes in will help you do. That embracing Mm -hmm. these things that they're afraid of allow you to control function, right? Like it doesn't even matter
1: in the Yang dude.
0: The point is I honestly think, and I I swear this is not an overstatement when from my sensibilities and my experiences, and what I've what I've recognized, and I have had some clients for for well over double digit years. I have had people through the entirety of my training career, and up until COVID, I wasn't a landscaper. I was a full time strength and conditioning oh, coach I didn't for know that. years and years, and I I was you know with a, a team of uh, uh, lacrosse players here worked, you know, 30, 40 hours at a gym. So I've, I've Mm -hmm. done the personal training route. I've had personal things. I only know so much. And there's a million others just like me who are morons. So don't take my word for it. But I honestly think that if your goal is to get the outcome of what they say, a lot of times you will get the outcome. You will get their result by doing the exact opposite of what they (laughs) say i'm not even kidding i think they uh, connect things so linearly and don't understand the balance and they don't understand the yin and the yang so much that the opposite of their methods that they introduce a dynamic and it's exploring and and reigning control over that dynamic that is more important like what did you say it's okay to be able to flare your rib and to control it it's the one that you can't do that you want to be able to figure out and then Mm -hmm. maybe you learn oh you might have had the wrong idea about how to do x let's try it with a lowered rib cage let's try it with with this let's try this but with a little bit more internal rotation knee to the inside, whatever maybe it does take some 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 motor skills or some understanding of the movements you're trying to do when it comes to throwing a baseball pitch when it comes to dropping down for a takedown there's going to be different head positions different rib cage positions different hand positions but the point is Any way your body can move, and this is something that yoga has been very paradigm shifting for me, any way that it can move, it can move. Any way that it can move, it can be comfortable, it can be stronger. And then Mm -hmm, you will gravitate towards, you start gravitating towards things that are strong. You tell yourself what's a stronger position for you and you learn things that are new, like any other thing that's fucking new. You're a white belt at it until you're not. So you're Mm -hmm. gonna do things wrong. You're going to have to fine tune them mechanics you're going to have to emulate high level people to a degree learn the fundamentals and it's it's the same reason why conor mcgregor can throw a punch but he can't throw a fucking baseball you know he threw the baseball like the first pitch or whatever at a game and everyone made fun of the way he threw a baseball so it's like i i think the long the long the the long winded thing dials back to anybody introduces a dynamic Pay attention to that dynamic and figure out how to rein control over that dynamic. Find something that offers a left and a right. Toes more in, toes more out. Wider stance, closer stance. Eye line down, eye line up. Arched back, rounded back. You know all of these options. uh, You know turning. It doesn't even matter. Anything offers if you can break it down to two options. Play with those two options. And that is like the art of self-discovery and and reigning in control. Instead of thinking that this thing I can do that's a juxtaposition to this other thing is wrong and I can only do it this way because I have thought that moving certain ways was wrong. And next thing I know, I have a back spasm Mm -hmm. merely because I was afraid to be there. I know when you talked about guys afraid to do things with their body, you probably could back me up and say sometimes that's what triggers spasms. Oh, dude, totally. Fear that's alone.
1: Most of what it is. It, it's it's not even a conscious fear, but it's a fear that's like stored in the nervous system. It's so it's yeah. almost like a subperceptual fear where your brain doesn't feel confident there. So it won't let you go there.
0: Yeah. I got I, a lot I, of that. I'm former fat guy. I was 340 pounds in high school. <laughs> so that's where a lot of my issues stem from. That's why it's hard to internally rotate. That's where I get the knock knees, the flat feet, the, mm-hmm. all the things that come with having a big belly, the tight mm-hmm. back, despite definitely all the, it's like a result of having been one way and you still wear that history. It doesn't matter, but that that's kind of things that I've had to unpack. And then that comes with splaying open, but then you don't want to just, crowd in, it's finding those balances. And
1: I think we, we can get away with a lot of those imbalances in modern life. Because like I said, modern life takes place in a straight line and it doesn't ask you to do much. But once you step on the jujitsu mat, you are moving every possible dimension. You are contracting, you're expanding, you are flexing and extending, and you're doing it all against an opponent who's trying to stop you. So that's why I think the, the the variability is so important. Like you said, having a left and a right path and being able to go down both of them is so necessary. It, it gets to another kind of Buddhist concept of the middle path in, yeah. in life. And I used to think, and I, I think a lot of people have this idea of like, okay, we need balance in our life. That means find some middle point and like everything's in a a continuum, find some point in the middle and live there. No, it's like you have to be able to embody both sides of that spectrum at any given time. And the balance or the middle path is found over a long time scale, like the average of your entire life should be in the middle path. But because you're swinging back and forth and you're capable of operating at either extreme. I know that got like weirdly no, abstract
0: but you're right dude and, and some of that sometimes it's just personality types like yeah. some people aren't the extremes some people stay in their lane but b- balance dude you can't run from balance <laughs> that's the other thing balance is going to come to you through many forms but there are ways to control it there are ways to dial it in and, and it's
1: like it's like our bodies seek equilibrium right it seeks homeostasis but equilibrium is not static if 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 like like if your cell had a static amount of ATP at any given moment, you would be dead. It's constantly fluctuating above and below whatever threshold it's trying to maintain. That's that is life, dude. It's flowing between those extremes. It's the fucking yin and the yang that we were talking about. It's that is everything. Is being yeah. able to flow between them.
0: Let, let's end. Let's end with this, okay. I I'll and and maybe I'll just I'll give you an example or two because I'll, I'll okay. go and then you can say any sort of thing. If we were speaking to the jujitsu community and and maybe in a way that the, the lame and the average person could associate with. But let's just say speaking to the jujitsu community, a couple things that like are almost hacks, like things that everybody should explore with, whether. Whatever it may be, um, mine might not have as much to do with the literal physio side of things, but I always suggest that people should explore with the idea of being as efficient as possible, as, as much with the idea of good technique feels like nothing, you know, mm-hmm. understanding balance through that lens, not forcing things. Mm -hmm. Learning how to find your baseline, your volume zero, learning how to roll, run, lift everything at volume knob zero. If you're a 500 pound squatter, you should be able to squat the bar a hundred times and barely get tired. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's an exaggeration, but honestly, it's not if you work, if you spend a little bit of time on it. Like Mm -hmm. any sprinter should be able to run, um, you know, a 10K at a pace that doesn't wear them out tremendously and, and it gets back to efficiency. It gets back to, to balance. It gets back to uh, mindset, mentality, Whatever. I really, especially because I'm such a high energy guy, I come from that one rep max sport. I know what it's like to struggle and fight Mm -hmm. and resist everything coming your way. Letting things be easy. Not everything needs to be so fucking hard and frustrating and just letting things be easy and free and all right. And knowing that baseline, knowing how to breathe that way. That's, that's like something that I think everybody, especially when you're rolling, boxing, playing a sport, doing a practice, if that is what, where your mind's at, you're going to be okay.
1: Totally, so, I, I think that's human nature almost like we, we feel like something should be hard or that there should be a struggle. And if there's not a struggle, then like you're not achieving or that you're not doing it right. But absolutely, man, that's been a huge thing for me as like a business owner is just asking myself, okay, what would this look like if it were really easy? (laughs) Because I overcomplicate shit so much in, in everything across the board. So it's like, take, you know, working on something new, building something new, take a step back and say, what would this look like if it were really easy for me to pull this off? It's like, okay, why, why can't I do it that way? Why does it have to be hard? And that's the shift that we see with like new white belts as they actually learn to like calm down as they roll, right? It's like, not everything is a death grip. Like it's okay to let that grip go when someone's trying to break your grip. Like that's, that's jujitsu. Like, cool. I want your posture broken. If you want to sit up really hard, okay, I'll sit up, sweep you. I don't have to fight to keep you down. I can go with what you're giving me. So I like that. I definitely like that. If we're talking just like things that I want people to hear, to like move the needle on their health. Yeah, I, anything,
0: I think- anyone, however you want to do it. Just, uh yeah, just put something fucking what you really sign your John Hancock by, you know? <laughs> Dude,
1: number one, fucking sleep better. Ooh. Everyone wants a supplement. Everyone wants a new workout. <laughs> Everyone wants a a fix sleeping better is going to solve like sleeping better and drinking water is going to solve like 80 percent of your problems you try it for two weeks drink twice as much water as you think you need and like set yourself up for success with sleep this is something i used to talk about so much but like no phone before bed you know no screens limiting the light cold environment i'm not going to get into it because there's other people like uh Huberman has an excellent podcast, talks all about this. There's infinite resources out there, but fucking sleep better. And your performance across the board in your entire life is gonna drastically improve. And you're gonna get injured less and you're gonna be able to roll harder. So sleep and hydrate. That's like mm-hmm. the most basic, unsexy shit, but like that's the answer to a lot of issues. Number two is to like like I, I mentioned this before let go of the ideas of what fitness needs to look like for you. And don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Meaning like, if you know that you don't have the time to be in the weight room for like an hour a day, four days a week, that's okay. Can we work on some lunges at home before bed? You know, it it doesn't need to be the most well-designed, scientifically proven exercise plan for you. Go from doing nothing to doing fucking something. It doesn't have to be the most perfect plan, but just go from nothing to something in terms of your mobility, in terms of your strength, in terms of trying to sleep better. You know, it doesn't have to be the best setup. It doesn't have to be perfect, but don't let the fact that it's not going to be perfect yet stop you from trying. Because mm-hmm. the, the only way you're ever going to get there is by taking action. We could go so deep on the Bhagavad Gita, but consistent, imperfect action is the key to success in damn near every single pursuit. So you're not going to know what the exact perfect thing is, but as long as you're consistently taking a step towards what you want, you're going to get there in the end. So let that guide you in your fitness. Let that guide you in your health, in your jujitsu career. That's what I got for you.
0: That's awesome. Those are those are home runs. Love it. Thank you, man. Do you know your Myers Briggs by chance? Have I ever asked you that?
1: Uh, you haven't. Um uh, you don't know it off your head. It's, it's changed. I used to be like an INTP. It's changed. There's, yeah, like, I'm
0: ENTP.
1: Okay. So, I think I might, but, I think I'm an extrovert now. That actually changed in college.
0: Okay. I just recognize when people are either there's there's two types I recognize. I either recognize when somebody is. Either E or INTP, which is rare, okay. or they're INFJ, INTJ, which are the okay. counterparts. Like the the okay. what they would say would be, I almost always am curious about people's Myers Briggs when they, and I can't even distinguish between the two. It's so odd because one is so opposite of me, and one mm-hmm. is so similar to me. I mm-hmm. just know that usually somebody is one of those two when mm-hmm. they or is something or you're on the spectrum, just like me. (laughs) But I recognize something. And uh, that's what made me curious. I've been on a kick (laughs) lately of asking people and I can almost always tell when they are going to be the Maybe one like that me again or the, um, yeah
1: have, have you seen there's there's another test that it doesn't give you that it's like the same idea but it gives you these roles it's like diplomat like um
0: nine numbers I, the enneagram test and there's there's the
1: enneagram i've done that oh. it's something different i'll find it so, are you
0: sure you're not thinking of myers-briggs because the diplomat is one of the four-letter things so i
1: i think it's based on that yeah 16 just,
0: personalities um some yes. of them yeah, so that is Myers Briggs. So it is okay. right. So but but like for instance, the the ENTP might get the debater, but some of them call okay. them the philosopher. Okay. They yes. have names it's the same, and they have little the figures. Yeah. They have like yeah. the cartoon yep. characters yep. for it. That's yep. all. That's all Myers Briggs. It's the same okay. test. They just have okay. a name for the thing. ENTP is textbook. You could say the philosopher, the debater, uh, devil's advocate. Um, those are kind of like the the leader. That's the one okay. that that I am. INTP is similar, but but, uh, and then you can get percentages of each letter. It doesn't yeah. matter a ton. Do the test and <laughs> let me know what you get. Okay. I'm curious. Okay. I have to take it again that. before long, but I've always gotten ENTP, just varying degrees of percentages.
1: Okay. I'd be curious so, to take it again. Yeah. Oh, we're going to have was- to
0: have a conversation again, for sure. Yes. I'd love to have you on again. And uh, you know, we, we, we have an interesting balance on some things and yeah, I think people could benefit from, yeah, doing, even if it is just something, maybe if the only takeaway you had from this was, you know, I should try sleeping a little better (laughs) and or drinking more water
1: or DMT.
0: DMT, yes. I've <laughs> always said, if, I, I don't sign my name to any drug. I don't recommend anybody smoke pot, nothing, whatever. <laughs> but I always say, dude, if you're even remotely interested, you should definitely do that shit.
1: <laughs> I, I, I really would love to do this again and focus a little bit more on how the psychedelics have affected us. Because I actually yeah. think that it's made me so much better at jujitsu just because it's changed the way that I think about things. And I, th- I think there's so many tie-ins with like the lessons that we get from psychedelics and the lessons that we get from jujitsu. And I think that both are going to save the world and they're a solution to a lot of modern problems. If everyone did a little bit of mushrooms and trained some jujitsu, I think the world would be a much better place. So yeah, I would love to discuss this further with you.
0: Let's do it. I need to do before long. I need an episode that is pretty much let's stay on the topic of psychedelics just to have like let's a psychedelic it. episode. So we'll circle let's back. Thank you for the conversation. Um, yes, sir, we'll go ahead and we both were recording so we can end our recordings and uh tune in again. Click subscribe. Oh, real quick, you still there? Mm-hmm. Uh, do t- tell them just so they know at, at uh, David, Insta-
1: yes, yes, yeah, uh, in- Instagram's the best spot. So at David ZBJJ,
0: perfect. And that has the links for everything else that you do, the websites, That's there, right. everything yep. find him there. Um, Perfect. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Let's end our recording.